Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Black woman. Beautiful. Powerful. Resilient female of African descent with skin kissed by the sun. Conversation. A talk, especially an informal one, between two or more people in which news and ideas are exchanged. We love being black women. Black women are ambitious. Black women are confident. Black women are diligent. We are tenacious. We walk out of our houses put together. We are many shades and personalities of fabulous. But we as black women don't talk about our dilemmas, current events, and what's going on every day that affects us. So... We created this podcast as a way to laugh together, cry together, and have an open conversation about life as black women. Oh, that's deep. Black Women Conversations. Hey, Nicole. Hey, Janine. How has your week been? The week has been okay. Um, I'm so glad that this is not a video podcast. Y'all, I look a mess. Let me tell y'all, this week, you know, J15 happened like a couple of days ago, right? Actually, yesterday. Okay, we're recording on J16. So so happy Founders Day to the Zetas. But, um, you know, there's so much that happens in the beginning of January. We forget about all these Founders Days. That happened. So you got J5 with the Kappas. You got J13 with the Deltas. We got J15 with the AKAs. You got J16 with the, with the Zeta. So happy Founders Day to all of our Greek family that's listening. But because of that, it's always a good old-fashioned time for everybody. And right now, it's like all these Zoom things. So, of course, everybody has like these Zoom parties. And if you're Greek, you know that you go and help other Greek people celebrate their Founders Day too. And I'm just sitting here like, that's just too many Founders Days in a row, y'all. It's just too many of them. It's too many of them in a row. But either way... We have what we have. We um, kicked off Founders Day with chapter meeting because my chapter meets on the third Saturdays of the month. And, you know, the first Saturday of the month was the first. So uh, this is technically the third Saturday of the month um, was our Founders Day and our AKA meeting. So uh, we were in chapter meeting for quite some time. And then people were trying to figure out what to do. And so what we did was um, nothing because we were trying to not get Rona, but uh, I did have a, a sorority sister that came by the house. We had wine and we got pink and green cake and then we found king cake as well. So we basically overindulged. And then I realized, oh, snap, I have to go and volunteer for the Houston Chevron Marathon tomorrow morning, which was this morning. And y'all, when I tell you it was cold out there, woo, I mean, I've lived in Indianapolis and I, so I'm used to this cold, but y'all, it was just cold. It was cold for no reason. That wind was just blow, taking us out. I had on two pairs of tights, my uh, insulated uh, socks. I have some socks that have a uterus, uh, a whole bunch of uteri on them that uh, a friend of mine, Dr. Tiffany Thomas May, who, who's been a guest on uh, Pregnancy Pros before, but she bought me a uterus like little lunch bag as well as socks that are insulated. So I had those on. I had on two sweaters. I had on my my hat that covers my ears with my earmuffs and a hoodie on top of that. Yeah, I thought I was good. Mm-mm. When you are passing out water, so we're filling up all this water for the marathon. And when you're holding the water up for the runners to grab it, you know, they're, they're grabbing it and it's going to splash places, right? And even pouring the water in the cup, you get some on you. So then you're like cold and wet. And just so y'all know, it was in the 30s today in Houston. The 30s, okay? Plus the wind, plus being wet in the 30s. Y'all, it took me like literally four hours to thaw out today. My fingertips, I was like, am I going to lose a limb out here? Because my fingertips were so icicle cold. Oh my God. The things you do when you volunteer for these sororities. And now uh, tomorrow is uh, MLK Day of Service. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you are having the kind of weather that we're having. 
except we have snow now. And the only thing that I could think of is I'm so glad that I don't have to be outside. Could you imagine having been one of the runners that's like running? Because you can't run with all that stuff on. So they have to be running with running clothes. They've had to have been freezing. But, you know, most of the runners were actually okay. Because, you know, you're when you run, you're like extra hot. Like they were dumping water on their heads while they were running. I mean, they were, I mean, steaming, right? Because they're burning so much energy while they run. And so we were trying to like jog in place, jog in place to keep us warm too. But, you know, you can't really do that when you're handing out water. But uh, the runners, I mean, they had on, some of them had on like shorts, and some of them had on tights under their shorts, but most of them had on shorts running through, acting like nothing was going on, swish, swish, run. One day I'm going to get the nerve to actually run. First, I guess I got to complete like a couch to 5K. Y'all pray for me. I need to, Johnny, we should do a marathon or not even, not a marathon, not even a half marathon. We should do like a 5K or a 10K. We should do one. I did see the 5K before and I actually ran a 5K and it was like a thing, like, I was super proud of myself, but then I realized that I like running, but not enough to run much longer than 5K. Well, that's why I said 5K. You know, we did that thing. What did we do last year? The uh, I Run for run Wine. Run for Wine. Yep. Yeah. So that was cool because you could do that at your own pace. So I sort of like did like, and then you could do it in your own neighborhood. So I did sort of like a run walk, trot, you know, rewarded myself with a whole bottle of wine when I got back. But you know, at this, at this marathon, there were spots that handed out like cognac and mimosas yep. during the run. So the runners were like, is that beer? No, this is water. This is not the beer station. This is water. And how y'all gonna be running a whole marathon talking about stopping for a mimosa? But okay. Let me tell you, I feel like that's the only motivation. That and money are the only things that could get me to run that many miles. I'm sorry, like, I can't think of anything else that would motivate me to run 26 miles. Why else? The only form of transportation I have is my legs. I'm confused. Why am I running so far? I feel like I would need an oxygen tank out there. I would be the person that starts it and then call my husband like, hey, can you pick me up on the side street and carry me to the end so that I can get my little participation trophy so I can go home? Because I need oxygen. Like, I cannot physically, my lungs are not conditioned in such a way that I could run long distances. I really envy people that do cross country and stuff like that, I, but I have never, ever, ever, ever been a runner. Never. Yeah, I think you have more of a gymnast body. You're little. You know, today somebody asked me if I was a legal midget. Yeah, they did. <gasps> yeah, they did. <sighs> How dare they? <laughs> you know what? If you're a little person, shout out to you. I didn't even take offense to it, right? Because there are little people out here that are living their best lives. But realistically, y'all, come on. First of all, you have to be 4'10" or under to even be classified as a little person. I'm over 4'10". Not much more than 4'10", but I am over 4'10", okay? I am. But yeah, I was asking, I think they were trying to joke. I was like, yeah, no, actually, you have to be 4'10 or under to, to be considered a little person. For the record, how tall are you? I'm 4'11". Oh, You know what? Okay. Don't do, don't do that. Don't do that. Okay. Because I'm I a very were, proportionate I honestly person. thought that you were going to say five feet. My mom's 5'1". No, I'm... Okay. You may think that I'm over five feet because I do usually wear heels okay. when I'm out and about. But, you know, obviously when you're volunteering for a 5K, you have to wear tennis shoes. So, mm. but yeah, somebody tried to get me. They tried to come for me. They tried to hate. <laughs> you know what? I've been living with haters all my life. So I was just like, yeah, no, let me school you. You have to be uh, 4'10 or under. And then there, there are other things that make you a little person. Okay? So there's there's, you know different circumferences that we measure and ratios that we measure to see if somebody's a little person. And I am very proportionate. I'm very proportionate. So, so yeah, try it, it. It works. Right. But they did try you. Nicole, I feel like they I was your height when I was in like fourth grade. You know, all these people, you know, men like fun size. Okay. So I ain't <laughs> never had no issue. <laughs> I ain't never had no issue. Okay. They don't think I'm little. Hmm. My husband don't think I'm little. Huh? Okay. Okay, let's get back on track because I feel like we're about to <laughs> derail far to the left. All right, Johnny. So what did you do this week? Let me see. What did I do this week? I worked a lot. I feel like we always say that. I feel like we always say either I worked or I had a COVID incident, but I worked a lot this week. I don't really think that I did much. I stayed in the house. And the reason why I know I stayed in the house is because Ken reminded me that I needed to move my car because... I hadn't driven it all week. So I was like, hmm. So I have really been very diligent about one, 
Well, I won't say getting rest because I was going to say getting rest, but I haven't really been getting that much rest. I've been diligent about staying in the house, making sure that I'm not exposed and attempting to get rest. I haven't really been getting much, like I said, but I've been trying. You look 15 times better <laughs> than before. I mean, well, your you. voice sounds better. I'm so glad that you sat down somewhere. I'm really glad you did that. I tried. I figured... Continuing to be hard-headed wasn't hurting anyone but myself, so I decided to, like, buckle down and realize what's really important. Oh, and I got this mindfulness journal. It's like, you know, it's not like a fancy journal, but it's like a mindfulness journal that's in, um, I think I got it at, like, CVS or something. And it's actually really helpful. Like, it takes five minutes of your day. It asks you questions so you don't have to really think of mindful things to, like, you know, put in the journal. It gives you some helpful like quotes and tips for the day. It gives me a reminder that I need to drink water, you know, things like that. So it's been, it's been kind of fun, but it only takes five minutes. So it gives me enough time to use it during my day. But yeah. And then for tomorrow, I am actually mentoring some young people who would like to be in the sports and entertainment industry. So for MLK day tomorrow, I will be mentoring tomorrow morning. So it should be fun. That's awesome. Oh, we love the children. She just don't want to have none, y'all. She, <laughs> she loves the kids, though. She does love the kids, though. That's, I do love the good. kids. I just don't want to own any myself. But but I was actually really impressed with one of the, the young people that I'm going to mentor because when I emailed them to say, like, hey, you know, I'm going to be your, your mentor on Monday, he actually responded back to me and said, oh, I'm super excited, and here are some of the things that I'd like to talk about. I was like, go ahead, give me an agenda so I can talk about what you want to talk about. So I was actually super impressed. So I'm looking forward to it. That is dope. A proactive mentee. We like that. Absolutely. Those are the people that go far in life, honestly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, now, Janine, what's on your timeline this week? Okay, so yesterday, Republican Winsome Sears made history as she was sworn in as lieutenant governor. So not only is she the first black woman to be Virginia's lieutenant governor, but she's also the first woman of color to hold a statewide office in Virginia's 200-year, over 200-year history. So this isn't actually the first time that Sears has made history. 20 years ago in 2002, she also made history becoming the first black Republican woman to be elected to the Virginia House of Delegates. So she's kind of been making history for a while now. So let me tell you a little bit about her. She was born in Jamaica and she immigrated to the U.S. as a six-year-old little girl. And when she got here, her family settled in the Bronx. And after she graduated high school, she studied electrical engineering in the Marine Corps. She earned an associate's degree at Tidewater Community College, a bachelor's degree at Old Dominion University, and a master's degree at Regent University. If you couldn't tell, she is an advocate for education and was even the VP of Virginia's Board of Education at one point. So aside from education, she also believes in service. And she says that all of the things that she does and all of her endeavors, she does them because she wants to continue the spirit of service that her mother and grandmother gave her an example of. So before Sears started running for office, she actually ran a homeless shelter. And she had even done some like ministry work in the prison system. Sears ran on promises of supporting tax cuts, which we all love, increasing pay for teachers, as well as providing funding for HBCUs, which is awesome, right? So Sears has truly made history and we should celebrate her, but there's a bit of hesitation in her celebration. And let me tell you why. There are some things that are kind of giving us some pause. So this veteran and business owner is saying and doing some things that are kind of causing us to give her the side eye. Sears initially drew attention when she used an image of herself with a rifle as a campaign photo. She also tweeted the same image out. And basically, she's standing just, you know, with a, a very large rifle and in this tweet, she says that she supports 
you know, our Second Amendment. And she also says that she would never support a red flag law. So for those who don't know, the red flag law is a gun control law that permits police or family members to petition a state court to order the temporary removal of a firearm from a person who may present a danger to themselves or others. Seems like a pretty logical law. But she said in this tweet with this campaign photo with her and a rifle that she would never support a red flag law. So it seems quite Republican of her, right? Well, there's some other things that seem to make her align a little closer to her party than we would like. One of the things is the vaccine mandate. Another is abortion. So Sears is not an anti-vaxxer. Let me make that very clear. She's not an anti-vaxxer, but she does believe that vaccines should be up to the individual. So she believes that Virginians should have the choice to take the vaccine or not. She also believes that you shouldn't have to be required to show your vaccination card to get into any establishment. I think that the exact thing that she said was, I don't feel like I should have to share my medical records with a waitress. A little bit controversial, but again, she's a politician. Politicians say controversial things. She also believes that we should have stricter regulations on abortion. What she said was, a baby in the womb wants to live. But a little in her defense, she also admits that there are some exceptions to this rule. And she also states that there are issues, especially when it surrounds rape or incest. And she says those kind of issues are difficult. Her views that have likely caused the greatest opposition are her views on race and slavery. Sears wants to ban critical race theory in schools as she believes it's divisive. She believes that teaching critical race theory in schools divides the students and you should not divide the students more. We should just move on with things as they have been. As she says, Black people are overcomers. She says that we've overcome segregation and racism and a number of other things. But Sears admits that slavery did take place, but she feels that we, quote, shouldn't dwell on it. Her exact quote was, slavery happened, absolutely. And there are some vestiges of it. But how long are we going to go back there? So essentially, she's saying that we should be past it at this point. She prefers, as she admits, she prefers to focus on how much we have progressed. Now, she cites her own personal situation, being an immigrant from Jamaica, having gone through the education system, and all of the things that she had to overcome as an example of how anyone can succeed if they just try. She believes that regardless of race or circumstance, if you try and continue to educate yourself, you can succeed in the United States of America. Now, we have also seen time and time again that that's not 100% true, but we won't go there. I know that we should celebrate her because she's a black woman and we should celebrate black women of all walks of life. And you know what? Honestly, we do celebrate her. We celebrate her because she's the first. She's been the first before. And there are not a lot of black women specifically that high up in politics. I'd like to think we celebrate her accomplishments and we celebrate how far she's gotten. But we know that it takes all kinds to make the world go round. And we can still acknowledge that there's some parts of her belief that we can't agree with. It seems that she's a bit tone deaf, almost as if she has come to the point in her life where she feels like she might have arrived and she doesn't necessarily have to address those things from the past. But it seems like she would like us to ignore the dark past of this country. And it seems like she has also turned a blind eye to the issues that currently plague the United States. I mean, maybe it's me, but what do you think, Nicole? I think that this woman is a black woman that she's almost like a black woman in disguise. Like she is like an uncle Tom. I feel, I wonder if I know she migrated to the U S at age six. And I say that because people that were not U.S. born may have a different perspective of America, right? Like America is like the land of milk and honey and it's you're coming here to make a better life. Like that is what people think when they migrate to America. And 
I know that she migrated here when she was little, but I wonder if her family ended up in Alabama as opposed to the Bronx, would she feel a little bit differently? You know, would she feel the effects of discrimination and racism differently to the point where she would say, wow, I'm seeing how marginalized black people are here and I'm seeing how systemic the racism is here and how generation after generation after generation, people are stuck in a rut. And she can't be so naive or she can't think she is that much better than everybody else to think that, oh, I made it and these other people didn't make it because they're just not working hard enough or they're not educated enough. And this is coming from someone that my family is in the South. I bust my butt to get where I am. And I consider myself to have overcome the things that my family has had to endure. But at the same time, I can't ignore the systems that are in place that keep a lot of my family and friends still down. I mean, those things, those barriers still exist. And for me, it wasn't that I was like super smart or anything like that. Some of the time, I just was in the right place at the right time. I didn't get in trouble for doing some of the same things that other people got in trouble. I didn't end up pregnant when I I probably could have ended up pregnant having premarital sex. I mean, let's be honest. So I think that the system, the system is broken and it's really sad that she thinks that Oh, anybody can overcome if you work hard enough. And and I, I believe that you can work hard enough, but you also have to realize that some people's situations make their them have to work 10 times harder. Okay. So you can't say sort of shame on you. I mean, for her saying that, it's almost shame on you guys for not making something of yourself. I mean, really? And then to for it to come out of somebody's mouth that's not like in a generational curse in America is somewhat of a slap in the face, right? I have friends that their family's from Nigeria. They migrated over. Their parents are, you know, teachers and doctors and lawyers, and they get it, right? They're like, I'm not going to even touch on that because I don't know what it feels like to be a U.S.-born Black person that parents, parents, parents used to, you know, be housekeeper, for, for Jimmy Bob down the street. Like they don't understand that psychological turmoil that's in families. And, and, and that thing that you're taught like, oh, my family worked for this family. You know, it's like an extension of slavery. Like my family worked for this family and then my family helped raise the kids of this family. And my kids now, and my family now cooks for this family. It's like almost like perpetual racism. So it's like, Oh yeah, I work for Mr. Stevens, Mr. Stevens. So everybody's calling Mr. Stevens and his family, Mr. Stevens. And Mr. Stevens come over and you're Nicole, or she's married. Although my grandma's older than Mr. Stevens. There's that psychological thing. You know, you're like, oh, we can't disrespect Mr. Stevens. You know, what's Mr. Stevens gonna think? So, uh, so there's something to be said about that in America. If you've been here and your parents are passing down their survival techniques, which sometimes mean humble yourself in front of these good old white folks. And you are not necessarily taught that unless you have a family that's been here and had to endure Jim Crow South for generations. I'm just saying, and I'm not trying to like beat down her blackness because Jamaicans had to go through slavery. They, they, were, they were enslaved as well. Now their slavery ended in the 1830s, and the whole country is black now, so it's a little different. But nonetheless, they did have to go through slavery. So she should get that. And I don't know if that is different. Like if your country went through slavery and then slavery ended and now everybody looking like you. It's almost like if you're in America and the slaves were there and then the slaves were free and then all of a sudden the white people disappeared. I mean, how would we live right now if like all of a sudden we were all black? You know, I mean... <laughs> I would love to see what that would be like. Right. I mean, you know, and, and, and that's not to belittle it. It's just food for thought, right? It's food for mm -hmm. thought. So your mindset might be a little bit different, you know, here. But she's a professional black woman. So I know that she's endured some type of racism or discrimination moving up that ladder. She can't be so, you know, whitewashed that she's never had someone call her out of her name or, you know, call her the N-word. Really? She can't be so naive that she doesn't understand how systemic racism works. 
Yeah, I feel like she understands, but I feel like she's the kind of person that just feels like mm, I've I've overcome it, so it can be done. So you should be able to too. But I think that the, there's a really good point that you made about just the turmoil that the history of our ancestors, meaning African Americans who did not migrate from someplace else, have. And I think that one of them at the you know at the core of this is just not knowing where you came from. Like our families ended up here. But how did we get here? Where did we come from? What is our actual lineage, right? Like, we don't have that information. Here's the thing. If she doesn't like this country, remember when we were all like, oh, we're going to leave. If Trump becomes president again, we're going to leave, right? If we left, we would be going to someplace new. If she left, she could go back to Jamaica. That's what I'm saying. For the record, I never said I was going to leave, honey. Listen, listen, we talk about the U.S. I mean, maybe I'd leave and go like, to France or something, but they racist over there too. They're just not as racist. So, I mean, mm-mm. they can leave. Uh-uh. Don't throw me into a country when Trump's like, go back to Africa. Where I'm going? I don't know nothing over there. I don't know nothing over there. Okay? Let me tell I'm you. I'm not going back. I'm going to visit. That's it. And come back right to these good old United States. So, um, yeah, she needs, I, I just, I really hate that. But, you know, there are people that think, we should just get over it. And for me, I don't care how successful I am. I don't care how much money I make. I still, I'm waiting for my reparations, okay? I'm waiting for my 40 acres and a mule. And I don't care if it doesn't happen in my generation. I want Harrison to have his 40 acres and a mule. Because guess what? You told us that's what we were going to get. And you never gave it to us. So no, I'm not going to turn another cheek. That's like somebody owing me $100,000. And I'm like, well, you're never going to get it. So you might as well ignore it. No, I'm going to keep on asking for my money. That's true. And imagine how how it would even the playing field. Imagine that. If we actually did get 40 acres and a mule, which I don't believe that we will ever see in our lifetime, but imagine what it would be like and how different things would be if the playing field was just even, just a little bit more. I'm not even asking it to be perfectly even. I'm just saying get us closer to the point where we have a fair shot at things. Let me be very clear. I think that The majority of African-Americans who are successful are successful because of, yes, hard work, yes, education, but also, like you said, being in the right place at the right time. It's a privilege. The same way that we look at white privilege is the same thing. We have to acknowledge our privilege as well because there's so many of our African-American brothers and sisters who are still struggling. But I think that we have to acknowledge that, you know, systemic racism still exists and it still affects us day to day. It's not just like, oh, Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Well, what if you don't have boots and and they don't have straps? Then what happens? Then how do you do it? That's the part I think that she's ignoring. Well, the other piece is I think that, you know, 40 acres and a mule, like there's not enough acres anymore, right? Like there's just too many black people. But I mean, can, can I get a tax break? You know, can we not pay taxes? Then, you know, you know what happened? Everybody be trying to sleep with uh sleep with uh black people. <laughs> They'd be like, no, we gonna have he, this baby is sixteen one sixteenth Negro. We we need our reparations too. We need our tax break because little Timmy is is Negro baby. Absolutely, and all those people who are passing or have been passing or tried to pass, all of a sudden they would be black. They would be black. Yeah, mm-hmm. people be trying to prove that they have a spidget of black. In their DNA, as soon as they talk about what get reparations in forms of no taxes, wouldn't that be a good day? No taxes. Listen, let me tell you, listen. So imagine if you just all I'm asking is just level the playing field a little. That's it. That's all we're asking. But then we have black people like Sears that are like, nope, we could we've overcome it. We're overcomers. So you just keep trudging along and it's like "Mm, okay but if you start 50 miles behind and the people start 50 miles ahead of you are you ever going to catch up if we're all still trudging along no they're always going to be 50 miles ahead of you i don't understand why it's so difficult to understand well it's the difference between equality and equity like people don't understand that difference like there Mm -hmm. had there's the the equity which has like the little person, the medium-sized person, and the tall person. And, you know, they're on different height steps to make them all be at the same level versus having equal size steps, but you still have this different, you know, 
these different levels. You still got the little person that can't see over the fence. So I think that people don't understand the difference between those things. And and maybe it's that they, they understand. They just don't want, they're like, Oh, I worked hard and my ancestors worked hard for generations. Why are we giving y'all something for free? Sort of forgetting that y'all have people working for free for generations. Okay. Like amen, hundreds of years. So people forget (laughs) about the free labor they had to build these uh, fortunes that have been handed down from generation to generation. And people are like, it's not fair. Slavery didn't affect you. It affected your ancestors and they're dead now. Well, guess what? We here to collect, right? Mm-hmm. We here to collect. <laughs> because if slavery didn't affect us, then you shouldn't have that wealth that you have because your ancestors that passed that wealth down to you are dead now too, aren't they? That How part. about that part? And the other piece is, well, with Miss Sears, how about when they do give out reparations, how about she don't have her hand out? Like, if we get a tax break, don't claim, don't check, don't check, you know. That part. She but- might not qualify anyway because her ancestors weren't enslaved here in the U.S. All right, Janine. So, you know, this important topic, you know, this, you know, should we turn the other cheek on this slavery <laughs> issue or not? Should we just get over the discrimination or not? You know we got to talk through this stuff. Let's do it. My letter reads, Nicole and Janine, I'm working with a bunch of sellouts and it's driving me crazy. As a senior project manager for a Fortune 500 company, there's already only a few of us. One day, the other black person in my division and I were at a casual lunch when we overheard one of the Caucasian co-workers talk about being offered a raise. The person he was talking about said the company usually offers all senior managers raises every two to three years. Now, both of us, meaning both of the black people, have been with the company for over three years. I asked for a raise a year ago and was told that no raises were being given due to losses from the pandemic. As the highest uh, managing producer, I thought that this was fair and that if I didn't get a raise since I was the highest performer, then no one would get one. I talked about this act of discrimination with my other black coworker. However, he didn't view the act as racist or discriminatory. He said, we need to stop playing the race card. He thought my denial of a raise was unfair, but thinks I should just lay low. Ladies, are we at a point in society where we can't call out racism? I guess the Black Lives Matter movement has desensitized even other black folks. What do you think? Until there is true equality, I don't think that we're ever going to be at a point where you can't call out racism. I don't think there's ever a point where you can't call out prejudice. I think that it's important that when we see it, experience it, you say something about it. Because at the end of the day, the only way that we got to this point in society is by someone calling out the nonsense that someone was doing prior to this. Now, here's the other part. If you feel like calling this out is going to somehow cost you your job, then you have to be strategic about this, right? You can't just go and say, well, I heard, and this is what happened, and blah, 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 blah. Do your research. Have a conversation with human resources. If you have a a human resources line, almost every job has systems in place where you can report these kinds of things anonymously. If your company is one of those companies, which if it's a Fortune 500 company, I'm pretty sure that it has one. If that's the case then, you know, take the right steps so that you can get what you rightfully deserve. If everyone else is getting a raise and you're the highest performer, you should be at the top of the list of getting the raise. So I don't understand. If it were me, I absolutely, regardless of what my coworker said, I absolutely would bring attention to it and say, help me understand why this is happening. If you are not doing something improper, then open your books to my lawyer so that my lawyer can see what's going on because they're not going to open their books to you because they don't have to, but open your books to my lawyer. So if everyone else is getting a raise every two years and I've been here for three years, help me understand why I haven't received it. Now your coworker on the other hand might be just saying, you know, don't play the race card because they don't want you to mess it up for everybody. But the problem with that is, is not playing the race card when it's a clear racial situation, unless there's some other factors that are playing into this that you did not mention. When it's a clear racial situation and you don't play the race card, it doesn't help anybody. 
So go ahead, play the race card, do it strategically, and get your money. Real talk, get your money. It's one thing if someone wants to be racist. It's something completely different when their racism affects your money. If you don't go get your money, if it were me, I don't care what my coworker said, I would be getting my money. What What about you, Nicole? She's the highest producer. She's a senior project manager. She was told a year ago that she's not going to get a raise because of the pandemic. Maybe that was the truth, okay? Now, what I would do, and I say that now, Johnny's give me the side eye, because I really do think that there are some biases in, in, at play, right? Do I think it's blatant racism? I don't know. But everyone has a bias. It's unconscious. When I see another black person walk around, uh, another black doctor, I'm like, hey, I'm going to stop. I'm going to talk to that person. I'm going to say, how you making it? Because I can identify with that person. White people may not go that far because they're like, it's a whole bunch of us, all right? But they're going to identify with a Caucasian doctor probably more than they identify with a with a black doctor. Likewise, their your your Caucasian boss probably identifies more so with your Caucasian coworker than you. Okay? And you should know that from back. Okay? But you gotta give people the benefit of the doubt. Now, what I would do is one, I would be I, I'm always looking for a new job. I'm always, you can ask Janine, I am always looking for a new job. Because I don't own nothing. I don't own this company. This is not my company. The company want to act up and, and, and piss me off. I always have a backup plan. I'll always. I always have a backup plan. So my thing is get you a backup plan. Because you need to know your own worth. And if you know you're the highest producer. And they have not given you a raise. And I would ask for a significant raise. They're not giving you a raise. And they didn't give you a raise last year. And now a whole year has passed and they offer somebody else a raise. And the thing is offered. That's the thing that gets me. That's the word that, that almost pisses me off. Offered. You ask, they offered, right? So what I would do is make an appointment. First of all, I'd be online looking for a backup plan, okay? And I would be interviewing. I would take me some sick days and some personal days and some leave days and I would interview. And then I would circle back. And I would make an appointment with my whomever supervising manager, okay? I don't really know the project management lingo, but the supervisor. Whomever gives the raises is who I would make the appointment with. And I would circle back and I would say, hey, this is my performance in the last year. I know that you said the company was in financial difficulty or anticipated to be because of the pandemic, but I'm approaching you again to ask for a raise. Now, if they say, oh, well, we're still in a pandemic, then I would say, well, you know, Timothy was at the table with me and he mentioned that he was offered a raise. Why is it that he was offered a raise and I'm not being offered a raise and I am producing more than him? Please tell me what I need to do to get a raise. And if they can't tell you why Timmy got a raise offer and and you didn't, I would look and I would let him shuffle through and I would say, okay, well, I would anticipate getting a raise. And if you could get back with me by such and such date, that would be greatly appreciated. And baby, if they don't get back with you, I would bounce. Because it doesn't seem like you've been with this company that long anyway. You say y'all been with them over three years. I don't know how long over three years, but I assume that if you're writing a letter that's proven to me that you deserve a raise and you've been with the company for a while, you'd have been like, I've been with the company for 20 years. You didn't say that. You said you've been with them over three years. Okay? So that's not that long in terms of, being with any job. So if they haven't offered you a raise and they can't explain to you why you didn't get a raise, and yeah, they might go back and tell Timmy why they're playing golf, say, oh, you can't talk about your raises, right? But we know that we should ask for a raise every two years anyway. So you you ask then, you're asking now, you're letting them know, I know that you are being discriminatory that's how you let them know, oh, I was talking to Timmy. He mentioned that y'all offered him a raise. And, you know, I've been with the company X, Y, and Z number of times and I'm the highest performer. You know, I'm wondering what I need to do to get a raise. Then you say you are putting in his face. I'm better than this person. You're denying me a raise. You offered this other person a raise. Don't play with me or I'll leave you because I'm the highest producer. Okay. That is what you're saying with that statement. And then you watch him squirm. And hopefully you will get a raise from that. But if you haven't, you've already found your backup plan. But you got to let them know. I would take the raise and still leave, honestly. 
But you're going to take the raise for what, a paycheck or two? Just to prove the point, I would take the raise and then still leave. I think I would just leave because if I have to ask for something that is clearly owed me because they are offering it to other people, if I have to ask for it, then you clearly don't respect me. And I clearly deserve to work in a place where I'm respected. So thanks for the raise, but I'm still leaving. But you know what, Janine? People that are not assertive do not get raises. When you look at data, even not even the race card, if you look at women versus men, men are more aggressive in asking for raises. So I don't want to say if they didn't just offer you a raise, then, you know, you should leave. Because realistically, most companies are not going to just like hand out more money than they need to hand out. You're going to have to tell them your worth, improve your worth, and tell them that you demand a raise. And most companies will go, oh, every couple of years. You should be trying to ask for one every one or two years, regardless they ask it or not. And if they offered you a raise, ask for more. My two cents. I mean, I agree. I'm always about getting the money, so get your money. But I'm also about not being disrespected, so get your money and then do with this advice what you will, but I would leave. Janine, personally, after you've shown me who you are, my time with you is short-lived. Now make sure you're leaving to go to a job that pays you more. Just make sure that you're not taking any cuts when you go to another job, okay? No cuts. That's real. Okay, so the letter that I got says, Hi, ladies. I love the podcast. Listening to you makes my train ride from the Bronx to Manhattan go by quickly. So I'm writing about my coworker, and this may seem random, but I've thought about writing this since your episode about Candace Owens. I just never got around to it. Anyway, here it is. I've got this coworker. She's really nice and extremely friendly, but she really gets under my skin. She always wants to chat and connect, but I'm not really that interested because I don't trust her. Here's why. She's always kowtowing to the white people. We are the only black women that work at our ad agency. So often, we are the only representation for campaigns that are geared towards African-Americans. But she almost always sides with the white men. When there are any issues that arise that have to do with race and they ask us, she always takes their side. One example of this is a print campaign that we worked on that had a diverse set of women. I suggested that we get multiple hairdressers and makeup artists to ensure that all of the women were able to look their best. But she sided with the white men, saying that it would cost too much to have more than one hairdresser and makeup artist, even though we were $10,000 under budget. I really want to like her, but I can't bring myself to like her because of how she chooses to represent the culture, or rather, not represent the culture. Am I wrong for keeping my distance? Signed, B. B, you're always going to have one of those. You're always going to have one of those. And even with, I mean, I have coworkers that are black and some of which listen to the podcast. And I, you know me, I'm not going to hold my tongue. Some of them, you talk about the struggle and they understand the struggle, but they're not going to say nothing. They're, gonna, they're, they're looking for me to say something or one of my other coworkers to say something. Oh, I didn't say anything because I had such such to do. So I'm not going to say nothing. Or, Oh, I knew it was wrong, but I didn't think she was going to listen. So I wasn't going to call it out. So they, they say something to other people waiting for other people to say something. And they sort of like, just go with the flow and stroke the boss's ego to play nice. Right. You're always going to have those people. So what I would do be is play nice. You don't have to trust her. And and mind you, there's something about getting information and not giving it, okay? Hey, girl, how was your weekend? She tell you about your weekend. Oh, okay, what's been going on at work? You listen to what's been going on at work. You're pulling information from her. You're not giving information. And the more you listen and the more you check on her, the friendlier she becomes. Then she becomes your ally, right? She don't know nothing about your personal life, but you know everything about her personal life. Ask about her man, ask about her home life, really make her feel comfortable, okay? And you play the game. You don't have to like her, but you need to make sure you have at least the black girl as the ally and then work on some of the white people. Find out what the white people talking about from the black girl. 
Cause she's trying to get in too. She's trying to get in where she fit in. Proceed with caution, but always uh, realize that you're going to have somebody like that. Don't push that person away. Make that person feel good. Now, when it comes to dealing with issues of representation and trying to make sure, you got to spin it to make it sound like somebody else's idea, okay? Like if you guys are working on a campaign and it's about, you know, whatever ads you're selling, I don't know what you do, but let's say you're trying to sell, I don't know, jeans, skinny jeans, okay? Let's say that's what you're trying to sell. You know that if you're trying to sell them to a certain population, Black people buy more retail than anything, right? So then you need to make it seem like, hey, listen, we need to appeal to this population because this percent of our market is this ethnicity and this person is this ethnicity. So we need to make sure we have representation. So I would always spin it in a way that makes it look like, hey, it's the market. It's not me that wants more representation. It's the market, okay? They want to know that we're employing people. And so when we put our annual reports, we can say we do, we have a diverse group of employers, employ, employees, even if they're contracted employees. Spin it to make it look the company, make the company look good. Make the company look good, okay? And don't get all personal, okay? Because realize that people identify with themselves. And so nobody wants to think of themselves as a racist. Okay, so you really have to word finagle that, okay, massage and word caress that in such a way that makes people, you know, think it's their idea. But but again, the 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 black girl needs to be your friend. Just get information from the friend. Okay, so I agree with what you said, Nicole. But one of the things that I would like to point out is having worked in the ad industry before, let me just say this. If you let one campaign fail. If you let one campaign fail based on the thought process of this group, I promise you, I promise you, if you make a suggestion, because I've done this before, make a suggestion, they don't follow the suggestion, campaign fails, right? When the campaign fails, they try to figure out why it fails, they'll do a recap, and then they'll realize that they should have listened to you, right? So just do it one time. And let me tell you what it does. You don't have to like this coworker, but I agree with Nicole, you need to keep this coworker close. But if you let a campaign fail, they'll stop questioning your thought process because they know that what you say is correct because you're closer to the demographic that they're trying to reach. I've seen this happen before. I've literally seen a campaign happen. And this wasn't even about race. This was about uh, gender. It was a room full of men. They put together this campaign for Women's History Month. And the campaign was super hypersexualized. And I literally thought to myself, if we're supposed to be using this campaign to celebrate Women's History Month, why is it all the women in this campaign are half naked? I don't understand. They're, we're more than our bodies. So, of course, no one wanted to hear me. The campaign failed. Now, thankfully, we had enough time to, to recoup for this campaign. But the campaign failed, right? When we regrouped to get to the point of having to carry this campaign across the finish line, guess what they did? They changed the imagery because... They people, the response and the feedback that they got was that people found it offensive. Just let it happen once. They will get the point. When people lose money, they start listening. Like I said, you don't have to like this girl. You do not. You don't have to be friends. You're not wrong for staying, keeping a distance. None of that. We're not saying by any stretch of the imagination you're wrong. But what we are saying is there's a way to get along, especially in these kinds of environments where there are very few of us. I'm just saying, if you show people why they need you, they'll keep coming back. And when the next campaign happens so that they don't fail, guess what? You'll be a valuable asset to them and they'll come to you and ask you the questions rather than you having to offer up your opinion. I've seen it happen time and time again. Just be patient. It'll happen. They'll get it. And if they don't get it, girl, it's a million ad agencies in New York. Find another one. Find one that more closely aligns with your values and your representation of the culture and maybe go work for them. But until you do, make these people need you. Make them need you. All right, Janine. So what did you learn new this week? What I learned new this week was the first Black Republicans in a professional capacity date back to 1872. Now, I will say that the Republican Party was much different back then. But those are the first Republicans that we had of a record, I should say, that we had were back in 1872. What did you learn new this week, Nicole? 
yeah, that's when the Republicans were the Democrats and the Democrats were really the Republicans. But yeah, I get what you're saying. So um, I learned that more than half of the currently active KKK groups were formed only in the last five years. And this is according to the ADL, which is the leading anti-hate organization founded in 1913 in response to escalating climate and, and anti-Semitism uh, and bigotry. But they did note that the reason that half of these clan groups have been formed is not because there's more clan members, it's because groups are being dissolved so frequently. So a group will form, it'll dissolve. Another group will form somewhere else, it'll dissolve over time. So as opposed to back in the day when the clan was just one big old group. <laughs> so they did make note of that. But I still thought it was interesting that we still starting clan groups in the last five years. Like, really? We had a, a black president and then we had Trump. So I can believe it. It's just so disheartening. And it goes back to, to our original timeline story. Like, this is exactly why... We cannot ignore the fact that systemic racism still exists. Like, we are literally forming clan groups in the 2000s. That's sad. That is very, very sad. Yeah, it is. And not even the 2000s. The, the 2016s, the 2017. I mean, like, uh, that's crazy. That's sad. <sighs> All right. Well, with that sadness, we need motivation. So are you ready for the motivational moment? Let's do it. Y'all know I like Oprah. I can probably just like give all my motivational moments from Oprah, but I decided to mix it up. But I love Oprah. And so the motivational moment today comes from Oprah. And she said, excellence is the best deterrent to racism or sexism. So yes, they both exist. But be so amazing at what you do that even the bald Caucasian man has to nod and say, mm-hmm. Not that you need his approval, though. Until we meet again. Pray, work, slay. And show off your melanated excellence. Bye. Bye! Oh, That's Deep Black Women Conversations is produced by Nicole Lee Plenty and Janine Brunson Johnson. Executive producer, Ken Johnson. Get the Oh, That's Deep Black Women Conversation podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or where you get your podcasts. Please subscribe and rate us. You can follow Oh, That's Deep Black Women Conversations on IG at Oh, That's Deep BWC. Oh, That's Deep Black Women Conversations is a mean old lion media production. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.